Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. This is a special afternoon episode of the show about the show. As always, I am Devlin Clark, the creator and host of the show about the show. This is episode 13, so I have not yet been kicked off the air, so that is good. So episode 13 today, I am so incredibly honored and ready to talk to Brandon Warren. He covers the he is part of the Zone Coverage website. He has a daily Minnesota Twins podcast called Locked On Twins, which is amazing. And you can also find him writing for The Athletic. He is also a dad like myself and a wrestling fan. We're going to be talking a lot of Twins in the next 60 minutes, specifically about the the steal of a trade that they made for Jake Odorizzi, what they gave up, how it helps them the most, and what Brandon and I think are the key moves in the offseason. We're also going to touch on some of the Hall of Fame stuff. We'll get into a little bit of WWE, and then we're going we're gonna to have a little bit of fun um, with, uh, with, one of, with a show that we both love, which is The Office, and we're going to see which Twins players would be uh, – office characters so without any further ado as always this episode and this entire podcast is dedicated to my dad who taught me to love baseball so without further ado ladies and gentlemen mr brandon warren how you doing bud good what's up how are you doing well doing well so i wanted to kind of dig it start today Talk about how you kind of got into the position that you're in in terms of the coverage and access that you have of the Minnesota Twins. Well, I got a journalism degree at the University of Northwestern in St. Paul in 2010. From there, I kind of interned at a bunch of different places and was lucky enough to score one with Baseball Prospectus, which is one of the fully inclined websites that people may or may not know about. It's just like fan graphs and, and some of those, you know, baseball think factory from maybe a decade ago or whatever. And so from there, I interned. I worked real hard doing that and then became a, a semi-regular columnist. And had a press pass to Target Field in 2010, kind of figured out what that was all about and realized that that was something I really wanted to pursue on a regular basis. And so from there, I jumped to fan graphs Fangraphs has enough of a stronghold in the marketplace for baseball that they give press passes for there as well. And so I kind of, between all the places I was writing, I was doing like Q&As and that kind of thing, just getting to learn how to talk to players and ask them questions that were both, you know, good to get good answers, but also just not offensive or not dumb. And just kind of teaching myself the ins and outs of the business while asking some of the people that were at the stadium every day how to kind of go about my business. And then from there, I just kind of had to work hard and hope people would notice. And eventually somebody did. 1500 ESPN gave me my first regular beat doing twin stuff. I was at the stadium all 81 games that year. And then after that year, they decided to cut their budget. And when they hired a new senior editor, it was a guy who also did baseball. And so they didn't need me anymore and so I kind of floundered for a year trying to figure out what was next and then Tom Schreier who's in charge of zone coverage back then was calling it cold Omaha and he said well we're you know we're trying to build something here and if you're interested yeah we would really like to have you and so I you know absent any other options took him up on that and I mean I had to work a lot there for free which was a very hard pill to swallow but at some point, too, you have to realize what your value is and, you know, hope that the future holds something better for you. And now I get a regular paycheck from there, and I, I cover for them. And the Athletic called me up and asked me to write some stuff for them. And 
then locked on, decided they needed a Twins podcast, and picked up the phone and asked me to. And so, you know, as long as you work hard and treat people the right way, you know, I can't say it'll always open doors for people, but, you know, you put yourself in the best situation possible and see what happens. Absolutely. Talk a little bit specifically about kind of each of those ventures. You mentioned kind of how you got into things, but talk a little bit about the zone coverage, which is, uh, you know, known as cold Omaha. So Tom basically had this idea that they, you know, that there needed to be a sports website in town that covered all teams, but was, you know, run just a little differently than everywhere else. And so his, you know, he went to his dad and, basically said, I want to start a company, and his dad said, okay, well, you know, show me that it's viable, and we'll fund it for you, and we'll find ways to make it, you know, feasible to make it a career thing, and so that's basically what they've done, and, and they've turned it into a podcasting place, a media place, writing, all all different facets of, of media coverage for sports, and I don't know if the future holds more entertainment, more, you know, wrestling, or TV, or music, or what. But they do high school stuff now. They do links, which not a lot of the sites give a lot of coverage to the links, which is is unfortunate. We're you know we're trying to expand Gophers coverage all the time. We did football this last year, but it'd be nice if we could get out to maybe the girls' basketball team or the women's basketball team because they're just awesome this year. They've beaten I think three top 25 teams, so coming off beating Maryland the other night. And so I don't know. I mean, it's just the idea that with media being such a hard field to crack. There are so many qualified people who are not getting chances. And it's, it's a little bit like the athletic in that the athletic is trying to create the best possible media company for the money. What we're trying to do is just to create the best possible media company with the talent that's available and maybe has been shut out by more traditional outlets for, for any reason, whether it's because we're, you know, we're too young or, or maybe we're, still needing some polish or something in the industry. And so we're just trying to give people opportunities. And, you know, it's, it's been really good for me. I've, I've become a better editor, better writer, a better podcaster, better communicator, better on videos. Everything is a learning experience. And if you treat it that way, you'll become better at whatever you're trying to do. For sure. Can you... Let, let's switch gears here a little bit. So after the zone coverage thing happened... You made an announcement that you touched that you touched on briefly there that the athletic, which is kind of sort of I guess you could maybe say like an independent style um, website, um, called you up and asked you to write for them. But then they started getting really big names. Michael Russo from the Star Tribune mm-hmm. switched over there, and you write. You called me. How crazy! Yeah. How crazy is it to know that you work for the same company and you write for the same uh, publication that Peter Gammons and Ken Rosenthal write for? I mean, it's extremely humbling. It's extremely... I don't even know what the word is. It's just you never really think about it. I remember when I was a little kid looking at baseball cards and it would be like Peter Gammons' picks or something. I don't remember what it was. like 1992-93 cards where... It'd be like Peter Gammon's diamond something or other, and and it was like he'd have yeah. players he'd pick to break out or whatever, and you just yeah. you feel so far away from that, you know, ninety two, ninety three. When I'm seven or eight years old, growing up in a town of three thousand people on the border of Canada, your your dreams can't feel further away when you're young, especially, or if you grew up in a small town or you know grew up in a you know an area where people just kind of grow up and, and either stay there or they go to college and come back. And so I don't know. It's just, it, you kind of, you can exceed your wildest dreams in some ways, but it just doesn't feel real. Or sometimes you don't sit down to reflect about it. And I feel like maybe I won't even do that until many years from now, maybe after Peter's long gone, who knows where I go from here, whether I get a full-time job in the media or if I just keep doing this forever, it's it's a good enough living that I, I can make that work with my, my wife and, you know, with our daughter. I mean, I, I'm happy where I'm at. I'm going to continue working, and I assume that that will help me go further. But if, if things stop happening for me, because it's still just so humbling and so exciting to know, though, that someone along the, la- the line regarded me 
well enough to, to give me this kind of chance. It's it's really, really unbelievable. Now you you know, one of the one of the people that you work with there is uh is Ken Rosenthal. Have you ever just emailed him and asked him for like a picture of his bow tie collection? Because that guy's got a legendary bow tie collection. I I haven't. I'm I'm really waiting for the chance to meet him and what helps is when your team that you cover is more relevant. So Obviously, I've covered the Twins for some pretty rough years, 2013, 15, and then again, uh, 15 was okay. I mean, those years they won, I think, 83 games. But 13 and 16 were especially difficult. This last year was good, but I don't think anybody believed in them. When you start getting good, that's when you get the national games. So you get guys like Buster Olney in town or John Shambi. I met John Shambi. He's known as Boog in the ESPN circles, uh, the redheaded guy that does the – national games on radio and just a wonderful, wonderful guy that I've now, you know, now he'll, he'll text me and ask me about the twins when they're coming to town or when he's coming to town to do a game and say, Hey, what do you know about, you know, this guy? And I can help him with his prep, which is just, it's unbelievable. And so when, when the national types come to town, it's when your team is good. And so hopefully this year is the kind of year where Ken Rosenthal and, and, and Fox sports come in for a Saturday game and maybe I can meet him. But, Buster was in town. I was too intimidated to go say hi to him. It was 2013. I think Cleveland clinched at Target Field. I want to say it was the year Jason Kubel was traded to the Indians for the last, like, month of the year. And so I, I was just too intimidated. Buster sat behind me for the entire game. I didn't even say a peep to him. And so that was my that was me learning my lesson. Like, these guys aren't that scary. Just go up and talk to them. And, and you know, John – followed me back on Twitter within an hour and we, we chat now and so it's it's amazing and I'm hoping that Kenny makes his way to town so I can I can ask him about the bow ties because they, they're obviously very <laughs> meaningful too he, he'll do things for charities you know important Absolutely. things like diabetes or, or all kinds of stuff so he's he seems like a really really great guy who does more than just baseball stuff to occupy his time Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and it's funny that you, it's funny that you kind of talk about being intimidated by, by guys. Cause I was, you know, I've been a big ESPN baseball tonight or yeah, baseball tonight fan. As I'm sure you have for many, many years, I played the game when it was back on, I think the Sega back in the nineties, yep. cause we're about the, about the same age. And I was at a game in uh, 2014. It was a nationally televised game over 4th of July weekend against the Yankees. And uh, ESPN's there, and I'm kind of down, and I'm talking to Wetmore and bothering him, and I'm talking to some players and stuff. And all the, and all of a sudden, and I have a, a 2014 All Star Game program, and I see this little guy with a really high pitched nasally voice, talking and just laughing and laughing and laughing, and it's Tim Kirchin, and I that love. Yeah, I figured it was him. Yeah, I love Tim Kirkjian, and I asked him if he would sign my program, and he's like, yeah, absolutely, and he posed for pictures. And I watched for the next probably 40 minutes every single ball that fans threw to him to sign. He caught it one-handed, sweet-spotted it, and threw it back. I mean, the guy didn't drop a single thing, and he's – you know he he's wearing he's wearing a suit and people are making bad throws and everything and he's catching every single one so it's I, I understand that aspect of it but it's it's a pretty cool pretty cool aspect when you when you get to kind of see them that they're that yes they're also human beings in addition to being these big time media personalities yeah and most of them are not very intimidating so I mean yeah uh, there's, there's probably some that aren't the most personable or where they just want their space and that's that's totally within their right but you'll never know until you ask and you really don't need to take it personally if they want their space either absolutely let's switch gears here and uh talk about the locked on twins podcast now this is a podcast that's a daily podcast and as somebody who does a podcast i i can't imagine doing a daily podcast about one team. Um, how difficult is it to come up with things? I know on Twitter you put a lot of questions out there. How did that idea kind of come about to do a daily Twins podcast and talk about being the co-host of that? Well, so David Locke is a broadcaster for the Utah Jazz, so a natural play on his name is Locked On for his Locked On Sports Podcast Network. 
and Locked On Jazz, I think is what he started. And then he realized he wanted to sort of network. So we have Locked On Vikings, Locked On Timberwolves. And so then I thought, oh, maybe they'll do baseball someday. And then all of a sudden, lo and behold, this this Twitter handle, Locked On MLB, follows me, and they start doing Locked On Cubs and Yankees. So I reached out and I said, hey, you know, if you ever do Twins, just let me know. I mean, maybe I wouldn't be your first choice, but if I am, just, uh, you know, hit me up. And so they did that about a month ago, and we signed a deal. And so it's every weekday. I'll say it hasn't been difficult, but this is only going to be episode number seven that we record today. And so seven days of material isn't too hard to come by. Fortunately, during that time, the Twins have, what have they done? They've traded for Jake Odorizzi. They've been in the mix for guys like you, Darvish. Now it sounds like they could have a chance at either Lance Lynn or Alex Cobb. So, I mean, they're giving us some material. People have been just awesome. You, you've participated as well in our Q&A stuff. I think your question is the first one that we'll answer when we record today after I get off this call. And so it's been just a wonderful response. Honestly, people like hearing their names on podcasts. I try to give away something as often as possible, whether it's a Twins Prospect Handbook or who knows, maybe I get my hands on a copy of a book that people want, whether it's Keith Law's Smart Baseball or I don't know. But what, when we are doing this, this daily show, you know, if you have a, a co-host who you can bounce stuff off and have a good conversation with, that makes it really easy. Now, some of these guys do the shows on their own. And for me, that would just be really hard for me to be entertaining by myself. I do Midwest Swing with, you know, different guests every week. But sometimes getting that chemistry is a big deal. And so for me to find someone that I knew that I would have that chemistry with was important. And the first person that came to mind was a friend of mine, Ryan Turnquist, who sealed, and we just kind of met through Twitter about four or five years ago. And he's just a good good kid, um, going to grad school for school counseling. So we have to work around that for his schedule a little bit. But I know his passion as a fan is it rivals that of mine as a baseball fan and as a reporter to, to do a good job. And so when that fire is, is met by someone else's fire in a different but complementary angle, it, it makes for the best possible content that either person is capable of producing with their talent. And I think we've done a nice job so far, and, and hopefully it continues to grow. And I don't know how niche-specific a Twins daily podcast is or can be, you know, so I don't know how big the, the ceiling is for something like that. But they wanted us to get two sponsors, and we already have one contract drawn up and another one that we're in the process of. So we might have our first two sponsors before we're two weeks in. I think that's a, that's a pretty good ground to have built upon. Absolutely. And where can people find that podcast at? So you can now follow it on iTunes, Locked on Twins. Give us a five-star review, and we will be very happy. Otherwise, it's on zonecoverage.com or lockedontwins.com, or you can just find it at Brandon underscore Warren. I tweet the link probably twice a day, at least until we get started. I won't be quite so annoying about it after we've we've been, uh, you know, <laughs> get a good subscriber base. But, I mean, the first few episodes were, were really well-received, and we've continued to, to grow from there. So I'm pretty excited about the future. Yeah, I've listened to them. They're they're great. You guys do a fantastic job. Thank let's you. uh let yeah, absolutely. Let's switch base and talk about the twins. So obviously this week a lot of news on the twins. Let's start with the with the first news that we had. The twins were out on you, Darvish. Darvish ended up signing a deal with the Cubs, six years. I want to say it was one twenty six. I've been reading all over Twitter and Facebook that, you know, same old twins, they're cheap, this and that and the other. And it, and and I want to say that I it's not so much that they're cheap. Five years and $100 million, which was what the offer was reported by Rosenthal and Heyman and Doogie and all these other people, that's not cheap chump change at all. I think what it was was that the twins didn't want to go the sixth year. What's your uh, what's your analysis on the Darvish situation and signing? Yeah, I mean, if you know, six and one twenty six puts you at what twenty million, twenty one million per. I'm guessing the Twins probably yeah. offered five and one hundred five, which is also twenty one million per. Usually, the teams have a pretty good idea of what others are offering, and so um, if the sixth year is a sticking point, I would have found a way to make it an option based on 
innings. Because if the guy's healthy enough to throw innings for you, you're not going to have him going out there giving you a five or six ERA to the point where you're going to be upset if that sixth year vests. Pitcher health is obviously very difficult, especially five years in advance. And even even look at the Animal Sanchez contract. I mean, five years, $80 million to the Tigers. At, at his age, he was like 28 at the time. Five years doesn't seem that prohibitive. He fell off in the last three years. So it's kind of a cautionary tale. And then the Twins went ahead and signed him. So it's, showing this kind of restraint is not the worst thing. I just I don't know that I would have given the opt out, and I think that would have been tough. And maybe that's the sticking point for the Twins. Is you know we want to make sure you're going to be around for longer than two years. And the problem is, if a player opts out, it's because they've given you value. If they opt in, it's because they haven't. And so that's undue risk for a team like the Twins. You know the Cubs, they they, they apparently feel willing to take that risk again after they're probably going to get burnt by Jason Hayward in that same respect. So I think the, the the game will move away from those eventually and I just I don't think I would give one away if I was the twins. No, I agree completely. You know, I, I was kind of I was kind of surprised and I've been telling people kind of all off season that, you know, if they're gonna get Darvish you know, give them a sixth year, but make it either a player option, make it a make it a team option. You know, do incentive laden. I think there were ways that the Twins could have done that, um, but didn't. So, I totally agree with you on that. Um, so then the news drops that okay, you know, the Twins are out on Darvish. They still need a starter. Saturday night, what happens? The Twins go out and trade for Jake Odorizzi from the Tampa Bay Rays. He had uh, the Twins gave up Jermaine Palacios, I believe is what it is. He's a low-level minor league shortstop. The Twins are very deep at the shortstop position. Can we call this highway robbery? Because that's what it seems like it is. Yeah, I mean, there there was a time when the Twins were kind of bad at these deals. They got Kevin Jepsen and ended up giving up Kiwe, who who's probably going to be in the bullpen for the Rays this year. Jepson is long, long gone from the Twins. And so those are the, the risks you take for these kind of deals. But the big thing with with Odorizzi was that his value tanked at the worst possible time for the Rays. And like I tweeted, I think that the juiced ball came around at the worst possible time. They're not they're not going to want to pay $6 million for a guy who last year was worth like 0.1 war by fan graphs. And – the, the home run ball was a huge issue. 1.88 home runs per nine is an astronomical figure, even in light of the raise, the raise level from the American League on the whole. I mean, the average home run rate for an, an American League starting pitcher last year was like 1.35. It's usually quite a bit lower than that. And so even, even in light of that, he's still well above that. And so the Twins are, are banking on that being a one-year aberration, he belongs to the cult of high fastballs, you know, the the, the spin rate stuff and, and all that. Yep. And So they're, they're yep. going to have to work through some stuff. But he'll play in front of a good outfield just like he did in Tampa. Hopefully it'll play a little bigger for him. I think that's what the Twins are hoping. And beyond that, I don't know. I mean, you take a chance on a guy who's been traded for not only Zach Greinke, but Wade Davis and James Shields. I mean, he's got the pedigree. He was a big-time prospect with the Brewers, with the Royals. And then came up with the Rays. I mean, this is a guy, hard to believe he's been traded four times already and he's not even 30 yet. In fact, I don't think he turns, I think he turns 28 this year. And so it's, it, it, it makes sense that the Twins hope that they can be the team that reworks a couple things with him. It also bodes well that Josh Kalk, their new pitching development guy, signed off on this deal when he spent the last, I think it was eight years in Tampa. So he knows a lot about this guy. And it also might be interesting to see if the Twins do sign another pitcher, which seems to be on the radar a little more today than it was yesterday. Is it going to be Alex Cobb, who was with the Rays for a long time, again, very familiar with Josh Kalk, or is it going to be Lance Lynn, both guys on the other side of Tommy John surgery and working their way back to what are pretty impressive baselines of performance. Lance Lynn, legit number two starter in the NL, maybe a three in the AL, 3.20, 3.50 ERA every year. Cobb, when he's healthy, which has not been that frequent, very, very good number two in the AL East, but the changeup kind of betrayed him last year on his way back. So 
we'll see what happens. But I'm excited one way or the other. If they sign one of those guys, I think you're looking at a team that can threaten Cleveland for the division crown, let alone playing in the wild card game again. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think I think the biggest thing that the the Odorizzi trade does is it gives the Twins a little bit more stability in the rotation, obviously. I mean, you know, you have your I think right now you're looking at some combination of, of Berrios, Mejia, Odorizzi, Gibson, and fill in your number five starter. But I think yeah. it makes it a lot easier to swallow that pill, at least in April when they don't have Irvin Santana when you only need a number five starter twice and you have a guy like Jake Odorizzi lined up number two, and he might even be the opening day starter. You never know. I mean, he's got that pedigree. He came back, um, he's coming back off of two minor injuries last year. I read an article today that said he has been working out and doing Pilates to try and Mm -hmm. help his back and, his flexibility going forward, which he he kind of felt was something that you know he he didn't he didn't blame the season that he had last year on injuries, but I think if you kind of you know you touched on his numbers, if you kind of look at his baseline numbers and dig a little deeper in Fangraphs and Baseball Reference, you can kind of clearly tell that he was hurt. Do you think uh, you know moving forward if he's healthy this off season, he's a solid number three? Um, I think I think his ultimate ceiling is a number two. A number three is the more reachable ceiling. And for what they paid, they're okay with him rounding out the rotation. So there's lots of layers that the Twins are okay with here. <laughs> Excuse me there. Um, but if if you listen to Locked On yesterday, we had a question that said, who would you compare him to as far as previous Twins pitchers? And do you have any idea who he said? I haven't listened to yesterday's yet. No. We're putting you on the spot here. Scott, Scott Baker. And so with Scott okay. Baker, it was fly balls, strikeouts, didn't really walk too many batters. And so, um, yeah, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there about the show. I just was curious if you had thought about that as well. Scott oh, Baker yeah. at his best, Scott Baker at his best was a really good pitcher. And to yeah. have a guy like that Absolutely. as your number three through five, yeah, he can he can definitely help you. Absolutely. So we, you know, and I think the other aspect of the trade, and it seems like the thing that the Twins have kind of been doing this year too, is, you know, kind of looking at some of these front office moves. They've been um, going outside of the lines and giving and trying to get guys on multiple year contracts, and you don't see that from the Twins a lot. We they signed Addison Russell two years, sixteen million. That's the first time that the Twins have have given a two-year reliever or a two-year deal to an outside or to a free agent reliever um who didn't finish the year with the Twins the year before. So we we're not, you know, we're not used to giving up giving multiple years, but do you think the fact that Odorizzi has two years and I want to say 18 or so left on his contracts a big deal cuz the Twins have no payroll next year other than basically Pineda and a couple other guys. It'll be even less than that. It'll be a, it's the last year of arbitration, so six mil this year, next year will probably be. It depends on how he pitches. I mean, guys don't go backwards from that. If he pitches poorly, that would obviously not be good. But you're probably looking at anywhere from nine to ten million. So six, or two years and sixteen million for a guy who can shore up the back end of your rotation. I mean, that's isn't that pretty close to what Jason Vargas got from the the Royals or not the Royals? Excuse me, the Mets. I mean, so you're looking at. The, the kind of money that teams are throwing to guys who are even way less interesting than this. And so totally, totally legit move. You're seeing, yeah, the multi-year deal to Addison Reed, who I think it came down to his years being reasonable. I don't think they wanted to give a three- or four-year deal to any reliever, and that's totally justifiable. How many of those deals have come back and hurt teams? I mean, Tony Sipp signing a three-year deal, Antonio Bastardo, those guys that are not multi-year relievers. You, you sign your lefties to – one-year deals, or you develop them like Taylor Rogers, and so absolutely. I just think that the, yeah, the, the path that they've taken makes sense. You're also seeing them trade from strengths. Palacios was a perfectly reasonable prospect, but behind, obviously, Royce Lewis, Wander Javier, Nick Gordon, you know, a number of shortstops in that system, 
and and not only that, but you also see them kind of weeding out maybe some of the Terry Ryan guys that they just weren't as high on as maybe Terry Ryan and his previous regime were. And so it's it's not because they're trying to gut the system that Terry put together. In fact, look at this current team. It's it's pretty much a Terry Ryan built team with a few tweaks here and there. And so it's just when you see them trade prospects, it's it's very interesting to look at is it guys that Dave brought in or is it guys that were brought in by the previous regime? Now, granted, you can't trade too many draft picks right away as far as, like, it used to be one year after they signed. Now it's the end of the season. So if they wanted to trade Royce Lewis right now, they could. Under the old rules with the CBA, they would have had to wait until this upcoming June, a year from when he signed. Now, with that said, though, they're, they're not moving any of their own guys. They're moving some of Terry's guys. So that's another dynamic that I like to keep an eye on as far as you know, restructuring, just like when they hired new front office people, new coaches, and all that stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a good point. You know, they're they're kind of doing a mixture of, you know, their guys plus Terry Ryan's guys. It seems like a lot of the Terry Ryan guys are kind of the players on the field, whereas the Falvey Levine guys, so to speak, are the front office guys. Because the Twins hired uh, – I was at Twins Fest, and I – I heard Dave St. Peter say something similar to the fact that the twins have hired like 40 new people in their analytics front office department. So it's, you might not be seeing it on the field, but you'll definitely see it in the analytics aspect of it. But I think it speaks to the, the, Hello. Done a nice job with that. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can barely hear you, man. I can barely hear you on my end. Um, let's move on, though, and let's talk about what do you think was the key move in the off season in terms of a free agent signing or trade? Well, I mean, I, I would say Reed because they have insurance now on Fernando Rodney if, if Father Time, who is undefeated, comes back to bite them. You know what I mean? And so Reed has obviously the pedigree of, of having closed before, which is a big deal to, to a lot of people. And, you know, you don't want to throw a guy like Hildenberger in there without having any experience whatsoever in the ninth inning. And so it's they've done a nice job to kind of hedge their bets there. But I also think Michael Pineda could be really, really useful because – He's a thoroughbred, just an absolute horse physically. And if they get him to where he doesn't give up so many home runs, he could be a sneaky pickup for them as well. Absolutely, yeah. He had a 17-strikeout game, I want to say, Mother's Day weekend of this past year before he got hurt um, against mm-hmm. the Orioles in Yankee Stadium. And he was just killing it. His slider was his slider was biting. He said he said at Twin Fest his slider was biting better than it ever did at any point in his career during that day. So uh, I agree. I think Addison Reed was probably the biggest pickup of the offseason because it shifts everybody down. He can do the high leverage situations. He's pitched in New York. He's pitched in Boston. So he's he's not a he he's not going to be intimidated at all by you know the Yankees and the Red Sox and things like that. So I I agree. I think that was the uh, most important move of the off season. Dustin yeah. Morse today uh, put out the Minnesota Twins spring training roster. I just want to r- kind of run through a couple names with you. Um, I want you to give me a yes or no as to whether they will be on the opening day roster. No. John Curtis. No. Not because he doesn't deserve it, but no. Kenneth Vargas. No. I think they get rid of him. I think they find a bat. Phil Hughes. No, I think he's going to be on the DL. Zach Littell. No. But he'll be one of the first names they call up when they need an arm. Tyler Kinley, who was their Rule 5 pick. 
I feel like a broken record, but no, I don't think they need it. If they if they want, they can work out a trade, but I don't think it happens. Okay, okay. Anibal Sanchez. Yes, I do think he'll be their number five starter to open the year. I think Mejia gets sent back to AAA for a little while, and Gibson is the number four, and that's assuming they sign somebody, and I think they will. I, I said on the pod yesterday, I think that this is play, them playing possum. I think they're saying, well, we got a pretty full rotation, is their way of saying, eh, we're just waiting out the market. If these guys come down to our price range, we're going to be all over it. So I think they're playing possum. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I think they end up with Lance Lynn, personally. Good. Dietrich ends. No, but he's interesting. Look at his numbers in the minors. They are really good. He needs to keep that shoulder healthy because he can help them, whether it's as a reliever or as like a back-end starter. It'll be fun to watch where he ends up. This this guy's an interesting name to me. I've always thought that he that he should be a, that he should have had a lot more success than he has. Aaron Sleegers. No, but I find him interesting because he's got some Chris Young in terms of height, but he also gets grounders. So he's interesting. Out of the bullpen, maybe he throws gas, which would also be interesting. As a starter, I find him a little less so. But he's, again, one of those guys where if they need a start or two here or there, he's going to be along with Felix Jorge, the first guys they call up for spot duty. Yes or no, does Steven Gonzalez make his major league debut this year? Yeah, I don't know if it's in the first half, but it does happen this year. Same question, Brent Rooker. Yes. We said that on, uh, I think we said, I think I wrote that or said locked on twins somewhere. Yeah. I think they find a way to get him up here, whether it's if they need DH help or if maybe they, you know, want to have him mix and match in the outfield a little bit. Royce Lewis on the opening day, 2019 twins, true or false? Uh, 2020 I'm going to go with, which I think is the same path as Joe Maurer. So I think 2020 opening day, 2020, but not 2019. Okay. All right. Perfect. We're going to switch gears here, and we are going to talk a little Hall of Fame. So the Hall of Fame ballots were released, and a couple of, and one former twin was on there, and that was Jack Morris. You and I are both native Minnesotans. We're roughly the same age. I'm assuming that uh, you probably hold the 91 World Series, specifically Game 7 and his 10-inning shutout of the Braves, in very high regard as maybe the possibly the greatest pitched World Series game of all time, and that does include Don Larson's no-hitter. Um, you know, he he's always had kind of a, I guess, crusty or surly uh, reputation with the media, especially when he was a player. He made some very, you know, derogatory comments towards a female reporter and things like that. But as a player... Do you think he should have gotten in before this? And what was your reaction to Jack Morris finally getting into the Hall of Fame via the Veterans Committee? Maybe unpopular, but I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. I just think he's thoroughly average. A 3.90 ERA in that era, and I know he claims to have pitched to the score and all that stuff, but it just it, it falls flat for me. They say he's the pitcher of the 80s, but... Roger Clemens was arguably as good. Nolan Ryan was as good in the 80s, and those guys are both much, much better pitchers. Roger Clemens actually has the highest war among pitchers of all time, which I just realized recently. I, I had no idea that that was the case. So I he's not a Hall of Famer for me, and it's, it's not particularly close, but I still think he was a ridiculously good pitcher in that 91 game. I just I can't imagine the nerves I would have had if I was watching it as an adult person. I, I was five at the time, so I didn't I I didn't start watching the Twins until 1993, which is pretty much the worst possible year you could start. But <laughs> right. yeah, I right. I would have been a bundle of nerds. I remember game uh, game 163 in 2009, and how I was just a basket case for that whole game, and that would have been so much worse for the World Series uh, 18 years before that. So. No, I, I don't think Jack is a Hall of Famer, but you know what? Since he got in, you know, it's exciting because anytime someone from Minnesota does something like that, it's it's obviously noteworthy to people like us who've 
spent all or most all of our lives in Minnesota. And so, uh, you know, cheers to him. I'm, I'm not going to besmirch the hall or him. I just, if I was voting, would not have, have checked his name. Now, you look, you look at the Twins who are in the Hall of Fame, and I'm talking specifically the native Minnesotans, the the top three names are pretty impressive. It's Jack Morris, Dave Winfield, and Paul Molitor. So Minnesota's doing something right. I mean, we we may not be nationally recognized as, you know, the state of baseball like we are the state of hockey, but those are three of the best players of all time. So we're doing something right. Yeah, you could add Joe Maurer hopefully someday too, and I don't know. I mean, it's uh, it's pretty amazing the guys come in from the, the the cold and put on different gear than hockey. Some of these kids play in hockey all summer long at camps and stuff too. It's pretty amazing that we have time for anything else. But hey, three Hall of Famers and a possible fourth one in the span of about 40 years, that's, that's pretty impressive. I mean, in fact, they'd all be voted in within the span of about 20 or 25 years. That's, that's even better. Absolutely. Now, you mentioned that. I wanted to kind of segue into that. Obviously, you know, Joe Mauer's a shoo-in for the Twins Hall of Fame. He's been the face of the franchise since he got drafted um, in 2001. True or false, Joe Mauer will be in the Baseball Hall of Fame someday, either either via the regular vote, the Veterans Committee, etc. True or false, he will be in the Hall of Fame. Oh man, I'm gonna say true. I just I think I think enough of the national voters value his time as a catcher and how great of a hitter he was in that position and how tough it is for the um you know, the that sustainability. It's it's difficult to be a catcher and hit like that for any period of time and he did manage to bounce back last year to close enough to who he was before that I think you could give him some uh some bump for that because concussions, man, they're just nasty. So I, I think he gets in. Yeah, I agree completely. He's he's the only catcher to ever win three batting titles. He has a lifetime combined war of over 100. And, yeah, I, I agree. I think he gets in. I think he gets in, especially the fact that he spent most of his career, he's got over 1,500 hits as a catcher. I think that the fact that he's transitioned into first base doesn't mean – doesn't doesn't deter deteriorate from his legacy. In fact, like you said, I think it helps the fact that he came back. I want to say he hit like 305 last year. So he's he's much like John Cena is in the WWE. He's a very polarizing figure among Twins fans. They either love mm-hmm. him or hate them. There is no middle. Yeah, nobody's meh on Joe Mauer. It's love or hate. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's uh let's have a little bit of fun here. Let's switch topics. Um, let's talk a little wrestling, man. You and I are both wrestling fans. So Monday Night mm-hmm. Raw happens last night, and they have a they had they had a match that went an hour forty five minutes and fifty five seconds. It was a like a seven man elimination uh or a seven man gauntlet match. An hour and forty five minutes? Are you kidding me? Well, I remember growing up they had the Iron Man matches with like Shawn Michaels and was it Razor Ramon? I, I can't remember, but like Bret Hart, they'd have Bret Hart and those guys would wrestle for an hour and it was most pinfalls in an hour. So I can't imagine that long and that length. And even with that many guys, I mean, still the physical endurance it takes to wrestle for 20 minutes is amazing. And to, you know, you, you look at the TV matches, I, you know, I, I'm a fan of the late nineties stuff, especially TV matches were anywhere from, you know, Goldberg would be 30 seconds and Bret Hart would be 10, 15 minutes. And, it, you know, that would be the really great matches. An hour plus is just staggering, just absolutely staggering. I have to imagine those guys couldn't even walk afterward. Oh, I, I, I can imagine, especially when you have a guy like Braun Strowman in the match. I mean, like you said, not... Not not so much only the length of the match, but the physicality in the match. You had, you know, Roman Reigns and John Cena and Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman and, and all these guys just physically beating on each other in the Miz and the Miztourage and all these, you have all these elements going on. It took over half the show to do that one match. 
Yeah, you have to write some impressive line uh, storyline there, or you have to give credit to a lot of these guys call out the match as it's going on, like their spots. They do their their internal wrestling communication where they know what moves are coming and when and all that stuff. Bret Hart's book actually really does a good job of explaining that. You know, if you have a match with a guy, you might rehearse the entire thing, or you might have just two guys who are just artists and technicians. So to engineer a match of that magnitude is just stunning. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, it is. And, and, you know, it's almost, it was almost a pay-per-view level match, which kind of made – I was kind of surprised to see that it was on a Monday Night Raw event. I mean, especially six days from now on WWE Network, for which if you don't have it, you, listeners should subscribe. It's only nine ninety nine a month. But you're six days away from a pay-per-view, so I understand the the building towards the pay-per-view in a big, big way because we are on the road to WrestleMania. But at the same time, you don't want to give that match away when that match could possibly overshadow the actual Elimination Chamber match. Yeah, it's kind of like when Goldberg won at Georgia Dome back in 98 over Hogan, and it was like, this should have been a pay-per-view match and that was back when ppvs were 30 40 bucks a month you know now now in 999 and, and everybody's got the network or most people have the network when they're watching these things it's, it may be a little different you know not worried about buy rates as much but man alive i tell you if uh if they're giving that away for free that's impressive yeah absolutely absolutely and kudos like you said the athletic ability it takes to deal to do a 20-minute match, let alone go an hour and 45 minutes with Roman Reigns, John Cena, Seth Rollins, and the beast among the beast among or the Braun Strowman. I mean, it's the monster among men. I mean, just being in there that long with that guy that. That's impressive and it's scary and it was it it was it was it was a hell of an entertaining match I'll tell you that. Well, now I'm gonna have to go back and watch it because I missed out. I I haven't been good about the lately the stuff lately. It's been classic stuff I've been keeping an eye on, but now I gotta go check it out. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm right there with you, man. I watch uh, I watch an episode of, or, of Nitro or two per night, or I'll just throw an old in-your-house pay-per-view on. I actually just watched the uh, Shawn Michaels-Undertaker-Hell in a Cell match from 96 or 97 when, uh, when uh, yeah, that match. And, and that was that was like a year or two before the, uh, the uh, infamous uh, Mankind-Undertaker-Hell in a Cell match, but that was just as brutal, too, especially, you know, back then seeing Shawn Michaels, who was kind of the premier wrestler in that era, seeing him bruised and beaten and more important bloody he bleeds throughout that entire match very heavily it was it was a lot of fun to watch and that's not long before he has the back injury that he had to retire from for like what 5 years or something like that i mean that's that's some serious stuff yeah and and that was right about the time he started taking painkillers and he had that painkiller addiction well, and then yeah he, he he loses the title to Austin at 14 with the with Mike Tyson turning on DX, and then uh, you know, and that gave him a storyline to get to get Sean out and get his hopefully get his life turned around, and he did, and he had back surgery, and he became a born. Well, they gave Triple H. They gave Triple H the 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 group too, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they gave Triple H DX, and he had that was right before X Pac debuted, and they had the New Age Outlaws and all that kind of yeah. stuff. So. Yeah, it early '98. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you, man, I was. I have a buddy that I work with. He's a uh, he's a diehard wrestling fan. And we were talking the other night and just saying, man, we miss the Attitude Era so much. Like, <laughs> there's a lot of good, entertaining wrestlers in this era right now, and they put on what storylines they can, given kind of what society dictates and how they feel. You know, what direction the country's going, but. Man, do we miss the Attitude Era? Yeah, it's you know they want to bring they want parents to feel okay bringing their eight year olds to the shows, but at the same time, I don't know those eight year olds aren't paying very many salaries, are they? 
Right, right, exactly. Well, I mean, they're buying a hell of a lot of John Cena merchandise, it seems like. Yeah, Fruity Pebbles, so. man. Absolutely. Let's uh, let's switch gears here. Let's have a little bit of fun here. So I came up with this idea kind of off the cuff last night. Um, I'm going to give you a couple of Twins players, and I want you to tell me what character from The Office they would be. Now, The Office is is one of the shows that you and I just absolutely love. I think you're also, mm-hmm. like me, you're a 30 Rock and Parks and Rec fan. So, um, Yep, that whole block from NBC, Thursday nights was huge. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of guys on the current roster, and I just want you to tell me kind of who you think their their office, their character, who they, what office character they would be. Let's, uh, we're going to do the, let's start with Brian Dozier. Mm. Brian Dozier would probably be Jim. Who, who did you have? Yeah. You know, honestly, um, I had, I had Brian Dozier being a little bit of Ryan. You know, okay, he, he's kind of really out. Yep. Yep. He's, he's got that outgoing personality and he's really funny and, and, things like that, but you also kind of, you know, you can kind of tell he's got a little bit of prankster to him. This one, I really want to see who you say. Burt Blylevin. That's Todd Packer. (laughs) No question about it. That's Todd Packer. Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. I completely agree with you. (laughs) This is, (laughs) <laughs> this is this is uh, one of one of the ones that uh, that I that I think is most interesting, and I actually had kind of a difficult time coming up for a comp with this one. Eddie Gordado. Mm. Oh man, that would have been a good Todd Packer one. Uh, Eddie Gordado is. Oh man, um, maybe Andy Bernard. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would I would say something like Andy Bernard, but also Todd Packer because he's got a very long prankster streak to him. Um, like yeah, they are they are constantly messing with people. They are constantly messing with people. Absolutely, absolutely, and keeping the bullpen loose and keeping the guys keeping the guys laughing because you know out in the bullpen it can it can get to be a long game. Want to kind of yeah. flip it here? Twins player or Twins coach? do you think is most like Creed Bratton? Oh, man. Who's the Creed um, Bratton of the Minnesota Twins? Creed is so quirky. Um, oh, man, that's a good one. I wanted to say Paul Molitor, but I'm not sure because, like, Molitor's got that streak of like rocker in him, like he's big Springsteen fan and and kind of the rockers of his era when he was playing. But oh man, Creed uh, just kind of can show up and not know who anybody is, but just be there. It would have been like Mike <laughs> yeah, Pelfrey back in the day. Okay, okay. Like Pelfrey's super nice, but people said he didn't know who anybody was, which is really funny. <laughs> right. Uh, we got about six and some change left. I came up with this one. I want to, uh, for me, the most obvious Minnesota Twins, the office comparison player character, Joe Maurer is Toby Flenderson. (laughs) Yeah, he's got almost a voice, too, if you really, really get down to it. It's... um, People people just loathe Joe Maurer like they do Michael with Toby. Just oh yes, Toby. You know, just annoyed yes. with him, which I, I get it. <laughs> yeah, and and it and like you said too, much like much like Joe Maurer, John Cena, people like that, they either love Toby or they hate Toby. They either love Maurer right. or they hate Maurer. They love Cena, they hate Cena. There's no in between. But fans very unassuming to, and good at their job too. Absolutely, absolutely, and very, very kind of underappreciated. You know, when you have a guy like Michael Scott who's kind of, you know, taking all the ideas and and kind of running with them in a crazy, absurd way, and you have, you know, really loud vocal kind of guys, that voice kind of off in the 
in the background is often Toby Flenderson, and that's and that's what a lot of people say that Joe Maurer's been. You know, he's kind of been the he's not a he's not a vocal leader. You know, I think you you've got a lot of access to to the Twins guys in the locker room. They none of them ever say Joe Maurer goes out there and gives them a rah rah speech or anything like that. He just kind of goes out, takes care of his business, and leads by example. And and Toby's kind of that same way. They're very kind of I guess you would say vanilla, bland, and ordinary. But they're both very good at their jobs, very unassuming, and I, I, I think that one, I think that one works really well. Well, and and the guy that plays him is Paul Lieberstein. He writes some of the episodes and like directs them too. So it is funny how apt that comparison is. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, what? Let's do one more here. Who would who would Eduardo Escobar be? Because Eddie's one of my favorites. He's he's hilarious. Who Eduardo Escobar be? Michael Scott. Yep. I can see that. He's, yeah. he's, he's the class he's the class clown. He's the one that, that that riles everybody up and gets everybody going. I think he's got it for Michael Scott. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, we got about some foreign change left. Um, you know, this podcast obviously it's a baseball podcast. We've talked about baseball, we've talked about the twins, we've talked about wrestling. But uh you and I are both dads. Um, how's, yeah. you know, we both have daughter, daughters under a year old, man, what's, how, how amazing is it to just be a dad and just see, see your daughter grow? Really can't imagine anything better. And, you know, I, I went through periods where I wasn't sure, like in my twenties, I'm like, well, kids would be nice, but I just, I don't know, you know, other people's kids I'm not crazy about. I don't have these feelings of like, oh yeah, I need one of these when I see someone else's kid. But when it's your own, right. it just it just flips the script on you. You you can't imagine life without them. You can't remember life before them, and you know there's just nothing better. And I think, you know, I think we're both four months apart in age for the yep. girls because Harper was born in May, and and Josie was born in what September or October? October, yeah, October 11th. Yeah. Okay, so so uh, five months, and so to see the stages you're at is like, yeah, I, I can kind of remember that. You know, five months is an eternity when they're only <laughs> five or 10, you know, nine <laughs> months old. So it, it, it right. feels like an eternity, but at the same time too, you know, you remember when they didn't have any hair and now you're brushing their hair or when they couldn't crawl and now you can't stop them. And it's, it just goes so fast. And so you kind of have to slow yourself down and just remember that, you know, if you're struggling with something, it's not going to be like this forever. And also you're going to wish that you had it back. So don't get too wound up. Don't get too upset. Just kind of live in the moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and it, it's so true that, you know, when you're a kid, time flies really fast. When you're an adult, you can go to work, work hard. Eight hours later, you look at the clock and it's 12.03 and you started at 12 o'clock. Time slows down mm-hmm. when you're an adult. <laughs> but then it seems like when you get home and you be a dad or you be a parent, it's like, man, that time just flies by. I mean, like you said, you know, Josie, my daughter Josie, she's she's already almost, she's a little over four months old, and Harper is nine months old. Where'd that time go, man? I remember, I remember following you guys on Facebook and seeing, you know, seeing that she was born, and then it's like nine months later. Mm-hmm. It's like, holy cow, man. Yep, she's already been out as long as she was in. It's kind of our little joke, you know. <laughs> She cooked for nine Absolutely. and she's been out for nine. She's cooked for 40 and she's out for 40. It's it's amazing. But I tell you what, man, it just, it never stops. It keeps, you know, it's crawling and now it'll be walking soon and first birthdays and all that. It's it's just nuts. It is. It is. All right. Well, we got to wrap this up here. We got about 90 seconds left. I want to give you a chance to um, throw you, do one last promotion for the stuff that you're working on, as well as your personal uh, Twitter, any Instagram or any social media um, that you want to pitch out there. So you've got one minute left, sir. You got it. Follow me at Brandon underscore Warren. People can find me on Facebook, either my personal or my professional page. Working on some prospect stuff for zone coverage. Hopefully, go up today. Some Timberwolves stuff too. And so, yeah, just uh, just check me out on Twitter, and from there, you can find my work on the athletic zone coverage and all that stuff. And and we we keep it pretty simple. So just uh, just check me out on Twitter, and from there, you'll find everything I'm doing. 
And that's Brandon under slash Warren, W-A-R-N-E, just in case everybody is wondering. Brandon, I cannot thank you enough personally and professionally for coming on my podcast, giving me an hour of your time today. I know you got to go. you got your own locked-on podcast to do. I appreciate it so much, man, and we'll do it again sometime in, in season. Thank you, bud. We'll talk to you. All right. Thanks, now. Yep. Bye. That was Brandon Warren with many different things. Follow him on Twitter. Thank you guys very much. This episode is episode this episode was episode 13 with Brandon Warren the show about the show we'll see you again soon with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom sorry sorry we're here we were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time no lucky land casino with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry in that case i pronounce you lucky play for free at luckylandslots.com daily bonuses are waiting no purchase necessary void were prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details